welcome. My name is Kareem Kanji, and this is episode 42. To many Toronto sports fans, the name Richard Petty is a familiar one. He was the president and CEO for almost a decade and a half uh, with Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment. Today, Richard Petty is my guest. We chat about his career uh, in Toronto Sports Spotlight, uh, MLSE, and what continues to drive Richard Petty today. This is a conversation you will definitely enjoy. Thanks for joining us. Live from Pacific Junction Hotel, Girth Radio in session. Thanks for coming in all the way from Toronto. <laughs> in this traffic? Uh, yeah. Which... But very impressive Adelaide bike lanes and not too many people uh, blocking it and the bikes... Bikes are taking a lot of cars off the road. Sorry, do you, sorry, you rode your bike in? No, no, I, okay. but I came along. I came from Soho House. But, okay. Uh, grabbed a cab and came along Adelaide. It worked well. Nice. Um, and, and I hear I thought you were coming all the way from Windsor. Well, you've got me. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> well, I was in Windsor uh, about this time yesterday, so. Oh, awesome. Yeah. And how was your long weekend? Uh, well, I'm retired, so every, every day every is a weekend <laughs> for me. So. And, and, and I'm afraid to ask... You know, it's back to school season for for a lot of people. For myself, my son is is off to grade five. Um, your kids must be growing up. I don't. Know I have no have kids. kids. No children. No children. Okay, awesome. So you you you've never experienced this time of year where no. you're running all over the place. Not at all. Lunch bags and everything no, else. Completely foreign to me. That's a blessing. <laughs> <laughs> that 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 is a blessing. But again, thank you so much for coming my in. My pleasure. And and I know when we started, uh, you know, having a conversation uh, on Twitter. Mm-hmm. You suggested I, I read your books. Yes. So, so I picked up your your latest one. Yep. Uh, Twenty one leadership lessons, and and I and I, I've started reading it. I'm almost halfway through it, and so as I was going through this, I said, okay, I'm going to pick questions out of here. Okay. Because I know at the beginning of the book, you also mentioned, listen, this is not a book to talk about trades, why certain pre- people were traded, or or why I hired certain people. This is a book about leadership in general. So I said, perfect. I'm not going to ask him. About the Leafs, um, while I do enjoy the the sport of hockey, um, I will admit I'm I'm not a hockey fan. I don't know if I'm not a hockey fan or I'm not a NHL fan. Hmm. Um, but I remember recently going, you know, talking about my son going back to school. He's in he's in Cub Scouts, and we went to a Marley's game. Yep. And and this is just me. Um, a fight broke out, and. All of uh, Rico Center, I believe it is, they all stand up and they're all cheering. And and I'm, I'm like, yeah, but how how is that? Win-? And this is just me again. But that's not moving the game forward. You're not winning. You're not losing. You're just fighting. You know, how does we that? We actually, I can remember we had a, a bad fight break out at one Marley's game. And like probably it was tied into your child's Cub Scout troop or yeah. a school group. And we had a lot of young children in the audience, and we got a lot of pushback and and flack from parents and guardians because of that. I, I'm, you know, I'm I came at hockey through the business side. I never yeah. played the sport. I've never been in favor of fighting at all. Yeah. I don't think it adds anything to the sport. Now the incidence of fighting's really declined. It has yeah. uh, really declined. Uh, I don't think fighting's the cause of the concussion issue. Sure. I think it's a bunch of really big, fit men. In a in a in a restricted place, 
dressed as gladiators hitting each other causes that. But uh, yeah. I understand that. It's uh, if if I had my way, I would uh, I would end fighting. But you know, I sat beside Brian Burke. In, uh, and for a couple of years at board meetings, and Brian's a dear friend, but we would be on opposite sides of that issue. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I know you've got some quotes from Brian, I believe. In yes, your, I do. In, in your book. But as I was reading it, I said, okay, I'm going to pick out questions, mm-hmm. you know, from here, um, you know, relate them back to, you know, your career um, and also sort of, you know, different things that, you know, uh, I've seen you talk about um, <laughs> on Twitter. Um but let, let me let me sort of start off start off here, you know. So there's there's really no sort of beginning point or end point. It's sort of you know a bunch of questions and points that I got from uh, uh, from from reading your book, um, and and the first one uh, that that I came with was you were you know part of a group that purchased the then called the Skydome, now known as the Rogers Center. Um, do you miss that name nowadays? <laughs> I still call it Skydome. Um, what I was was. Um, it was a joint venture between um, something like 30 companies, each put in $5 million, and the province of Ontario, and with contributions municipally and probably even federally, I can't remember. And they built uh, Skydome for $580 million, a little over budget. And uh, that was Chuck Magwood who built it, and uh, he was never planning to be the CEO to run it. Uh, I became the CEO who ran the building. And uh, it was great fun. I ran it for four years. We entertained, I think it was like 30 million people or something, uh, some incredible number. Yeah. And that's, that sounds high. That's, it wasn't that high, but it was very good. We won. There was a great cup. Uh, there was two World Series, 20, 30 concerts a year. It was great fun. It might have been one of my most fun jobs. Good, um, good timing with uh, the success yeah, of yeah, the Jays, Yeah, it was right? perfect with the Jays. Um, and it was the sexiest place in town. We could open for it sure. up for... We did the final uh, episode of Cheers on I the was video there. board, and 40,000 people showed up. So, That's right. So it was a very sexy time, and, um, and, but it was something I couldn't do forever. It was, sure. I took that job because I wanted to run a basketball team, and I figured I had 19 years of consumer products. I knew all about business, selling, marketing, branding, market research, HR, all of that stuff. I knew that cold. But I needed to uh, I needed to r- learn how to run a facility, yeah. and that job came up. I applied for it and got it. But after four years, I as I joked, you can only do so many Disney on Ice shows before you get bored. <laughs> I love the concerts a lot. They were some of my most fun working with uh, with uh, the people from um, uh, it's it's uh, a bunch of different people in the industry now. Um, but, you know, I I was done with that after the end of four years and went on to the broadcast industry. Is it true what they say about, uh, you know, when the artists come in to do a concert that they say, listen, you know, they've got a writer. Oh, yeah. I want certain colored peanuts. Well, it depends how big you are. If you're really, really big, your writing's really quite hilarious. In my first book, I talk about the writers uh, that we saw. And, you know, some of them are kind of wacky and they ask for that and. Uh, there was nothing illegal about any of them. Sure. Uh, a little excessive, maybe a little uh, quirky, but yeah, there there are writers. Well, is is there one that stands out in in your mind that was more interesting than others? Uh, no, I just remember I remember a couple things that uh, the Rolling Stones uh, did up the green room or the room we gave them to change and stuff, looking like an English pub. I remember uh, having the Moscow Circus in. And we were the last stop on their tour, and they left everything, like microwaves and fridges, 
because they would tour with that stuff and they left it with us. I remember Madonna uh, did not want anyone in the bowl for a sound check. And she used the F word oh. quite a bit. She was uh, some of the best concerts were Madonna's, but uh, they were all different. I, yeah. I really like the music side. I remember my my uh, my brother just went to the Kanye West show at the ACC, mm-hmm. and, and uh, it, rumors were flying around that um, the doors the the concert would not start until merch was all sold out. And I thought that was kind of strange. No, I don't believe that at yeah. all. Don't yeah. believe that at all. Um, no, I, I I do believe in the the late eighties, early nineties that the music industry was not as appreciative and and considerate of the fans as they are now. Uh, I remember it's almost they're forced uh, to now, aren't they? Well, you know, they were making they started making a lot of money off CDs. Yeah. And they actually touring dropped a bit and uh, then CDs died as you know. Yeah. And you can buy it buy it on online now for a penny a hit or something and uh they've come back to tour but they they weren't really good at it i remember speaking at uh at a Polestar uh, meeting in um in in san diego and no one was talking about the fans at all and and hmm. they didn't recognize their importance but um i spoke that that's what we're missing anyhow they've got a lot better country music was better right from the start but i think all of them are a lot better now so that rumor don't believe it yeah your your thoughts, you know, sticking with sticking with the Sky Dome. Um, your your thoughts on on whether grass is going to work in there? Well, the new president has said that he's pretty much put a damper on that. They put soil in in the infield. That seems to yeah. be a really good move. I, I really think it's very very tough for a whole bunch of reasons. You got to remember, Sky Dome was built as an indoor stadium that the roof opened, so it has no drainage. It has. It's not designed to have high humidity in it. Uh, remember, there's lots of electrical in there. There's suites. Uh, you know, there's right. um, 160 or so suites. <clears throat> and maybe it's. I, you know, I forget numbers. It's 20 years ago now. Um, so to put grass in, you. What do you do? You, you. The roof is closed. You close that roof. You don't. So as soon as the game's over, it's closed because yeah. you know if a uh, if a rainstorm comes up without getting proper notice you've got a, a really wet building and it's not designed to be wet um and then when the when it's closed grass uh, gives off a lot of humidity um then remember it's something like 30 stories high so it's quite vertical the sun's only going to be over that that that's right. uh, it, it'll have a lot of shadows you, when you go to a baseball game you see the shadows yeah. come in so it's not getting enough sunlight so gra- they're going to need grow lights. There are just so many issues with it that um, I, I don't see it ever happening. Yeah. I don't. I, but, I, but I know they have the University of Guelph on it. Mm-hmm. I don't know how active the project is. I know Paul Beeston gave it a good shot. I, and I'm, you know, no gardener. Um, <laughs> it's not, I did not graduate uh, in horticulture. No. Um, but I don't believe it's possible. Yeah. Where, where did you uh, first... Um, I guess build your love of basketball. Where, where did that come from? Um, I grew up in Windsor. Uh, it was a hotbed of um, University of Michigan. Uh, Detroit Pistons weren't very good in those days, um, <laughs> but I followed them. And I went to the University of Windsor, and in the 60s, they won five national championships, the wow. men. And uh, when I was going there, I went to the university for five years. We won three. So I loved basketball. I, I could not play it worth a lick. I could, <laughs> I could not make the high school team, let alone the varsity team. And so I just loved basketball. And when I was 20 years old, I wrote in a journal that I wanted to run a basketball team. 
Wow. And 29 years later, I did. You did, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, and, I, and I want to come to that, but you, you talk about the, um, is it the Windsor Lancers? Windsor Lancers. Windsor Lan- There's a story in your book about you buying the women's team? No, no. The women's, so in the 60s, the men's team was the championship. Uh, women's team was nothing, and frankly, women's basketball was nothing in in university at, in Canada. And years later, uh, I've stayed in touch with the University of Windsor. I'm very active uh, there. I have my own leadership initiative there. I, I teach. I have a number of scholarships. You know, I advise the the business school and human kinetics uh, department. Um, anyhow, they they hired a really top notch uh, young woman named Chantelle Valet. Chantelle, uh, I met her. Um, she she inherited a basketball team and really never made the playoffs. They were horrible. And I talked to her. I'd been supporting the men's team financially and helping them recruit. Sure. But I hadn't been helping the women's team. And I met Chantelle. I was so taken by her vision and her values that I said, I'll support you. So I started giving her money. And and she really started working her magic. She's a wonderful coach, a wonderful recruiter. And uh, within about three years, she was nationally ranked. In three or four years, she won a championship. She won five national championships in a row. Wow. And uh, early on, I said, uh, Chantelle, if you win a championship, I buy all of the women rings. That's right. So I bought the team rings five straight times. <laughs> Last year, they made the, the, they did not make the nationals. They did not win. I'm, I'm optimistic they so might. So this is a standing offer every time? Oh, yeah. Wins? I have oh, the what? same offer for the men's basketball team and the men's uh, hockey team. Wow. Yeah, so. That's but believe me, they're not those uh, two-and-a-half-ounce uh, diamond-encrusted ones they give out at the Super Bowl. But they're very nice. Sure. No, absolutely. Um, what sort of, what's it, what has kept you connected with that community? Well, I grew up in Windsor. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to university and got a great education there. Yeah. Uh, met a lot of good friends. Um, you know, I was with uh, two couples on Saturday night, and... One of the men, Mike Mueller, I met in 1965. We went to university together, and he's one of my best friends. On September 22nd, I will meet with 23 of my classmates. And remember, I graduated in 1970. Wow. Uh, There's not many classes who get together like that. And we get together every five years. So so it's a school that I I received a lot from, and um, I've done very well in my career, so I give back. I recently saw some of your your tweets, and you talked about... uh, um, Leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw some tweets recently. You ha- you recently had an event, is that is that correct at Windsor? Uh, we have an annual uh, leadership symposium. Yeah. And uh, this year it's November seventeenth. Oh, it's coming and, up. Okay, yeah. Okay, okay. So we've had about five of them, but uh, this year I'm really pleased. We have Sergio Marchioni, who's the chairman and CEO of Fiat Chrysler World. We got Marty McBean, who's wow. a very probably Canada's most decorated Olympian, who mm-hmm. also has written a book. Um, I've got Michael Rossi, who's the president of Adidas. Um, so I've got um, Justine Fadak, who's very senior uh, at BMO. Uh, you can point to BMO's sponsorship of TFC and BMO Field at, to Justin Fadak at Justine Fadak at BMO. So I have great speakers. We have seven speakers. And, um, you know, it'll be about 300. It'll be a great day of leadership. Yeah. Do you, do you miss... Running a sports franchise? No, I did it for 15 years. That's yeah. that's that's enough for anyone. That's enough playing. Mm-hmm. Well, it's um, all listen. Working is a lot tougher in the 21st century than it was in the 20th. Everyone works harder. Business is tougher. 
Um, that job is in many ways no tougher than people running whatever company you want to name. The difference is two differences. You work in the daytime and you're at events at night. And you might think that's fun, but when you're the president, you're worried about everything you're doing, meeting VIPs, you're meeting the media. Uh, if anything happens, you're there. Um, so there's that. And it's very, very public. And yeah. so in sports, it's one of the most public jobs in the world. I used to say I had the most public job in Canada. Uh, we, oh, had, sure. we had people covering us on podcasts and <laughs> websites and radio and television and newspapers, but not only in sports, but we had in business, lifestyle, polit- politics sometimes. Yeah. So it was very, very public. And um, when you're losing... It can be that, you know, the trolls come out, especially in social media. Oh, for sure. Social media did not exist when I took on the job in 96, but by the time I left in 2012. You left at the right time. Well, (laughs) no, it had had started very well. Yeah. It had been going pretty full blast for five years. But, yeah, it's a a tough job. A lot of people can't handle that public side. For sure. I want to get into, um, you know, how you started at the Raptor, sort of that path, but... Um, yeah, I went on Facebook today, and, and I just asked some friends, hey, if you had any questions mm-hmm. uh, for any of my guests, you know, what, what would you want to ask them? So uh, Joshua Murray, who's a huge sports fan, he wanted to ask you, uh, how hard is it to weigh the business decisions and responsibilities against wanting so badly to make the fan base happy? Well, Every every business has that. We call, don't call them a fan base; call them a consumer. And you got to find that balance. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got to find a balance that delivers great value and, and service um, at the right price uh, to people, or they're not going to come. And and the value in sports is not only the experience, but it's winning. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and you know that's combined with the pricing and the quality of the hot dogs, and and so you balance all of that. So. You know, winning is good business. Winning championships is great business. So <laughs> you you spend against you invest in the teams, yeah. and not only in the players, but the drafting of the players, training of the players, just you know the travel of the players, the coaches of the players, and uh, you hope you get a return on investment on that. Yeah. So let's get to the Raptors. You're mm-hmm. you're running uh, the Sky Dome, uh, and then you leave that. And where did you go? Did you go? To- I went to. It became Netstar Communications. Netstar. I was president and COO of TSN, Risoda yeah. Sports in Quebec, uh, Discovery Channel, and Dome Productions. And wh- how did? Was it similar to how the the Skydome job came? There's an opening. You apply. No, that one was a little different. Skydome, I applied, and um, but Labatt's owned f- something like 41 percent of Skydome. George Taylor was the CEO of Labatt's at that time. I told George, I've done enough now. I missed out on bringing basketball, to, and so I'm going to look at other stuff. And he said, listen, I could use some help. You know, you know, someone's going to have to replace Paul Beeston someday. Someone's going to have to replace the president of Labatt's Brewery. Someone's, you know, Gordon Craig, who's the head of uh, TSN Discovery Channel, is getting older. So why don't you come with Labatt's? And, and I went over to be uh, COO and president of what we called NetStar, working for Gordon Craig. And and then we we actually bought the company. Uh, we did a leverage buyout along with ESPN and a couple of Canadian investors, and we took it over. And, uh, and I figured I'm going to stay there because I really thought my basketball dream was over. And then I got a call one day saying, you know, would you like to be president of the Raptors? So I left, <laughs> sold my share of the company, and, and went to the Raptors. What is that call like? Like, who calls you, and what do you... Well, that one was very different. Um, you know, it was this, mostly people, they, they deal with search firms. Uh, 
Yeah. And yeah. Uh, the search firm will phone you and say, I've got this job. And they'll, they'll interview a whole bunch of people and they'll whittle it down to a smaller list. And then you bring in the company executives to interview the person. And so the, you, it's a classic search thing. With that one, it was different because it, Alan Slate became the owner. Um, I'd met Alan socially once before. Uh, but I think he asked around and, and, you know, think about it. I mean, there's Richard Petty sitting there running a bunch of broadcast things. I have 19 years of consumer products. I've got four years of running Skydome. And now I've got two years of running broadcast, mm-hmm. sporting, launched TSN.ca website. Yeah. First sports website. There probably, other than Paul Beeston, there was no one more prepared than me. Sure. So I had lunch with Alan Slate. And oh, we had wow. a lovely lunch. and. And um, I brought him one piece of paper. Uh, I didn't bring him a CV. I brought him one piece of paper. And on the left-hand side, it was a list of all the things that you need. You need to be able to run a facility and, you know, do capital improvements. you got to sell tickets. you got to do a broadcast deal, blah, blah, blah. And on the right-hand side, I had, I had experience in all of those areas. And I don't know that I definitely got the job in, over lunch, but I definitely went a long ways towards getting the job. And, you know, I think I met... Um, Alan CFO, and that was pretty much it. Uh, then I had the job. Nice. Mm-hmm. And, and did you find yourself like, I can't believe I finally achieved? Well, it was, as I said earlier, it took me 29 years. Yeah. So I was 20 to 49, just about ready to turn 50. And um, and I do remember getting the call because Alan was buying the, the remainder of the shares from John Bitov. They owned equal amounts of shares. And he was, it's it's called a shotgun, where That's the one, right. the That's one right. who offers the most money gets the team. And Alan found out John couldn't match his price, so Alan's got the team. And uh, he phoned me at 11 o'clock and said, uh, you know, you're the new president of the Toronto Raptors. So I, I big smile on my face, and then I think the press started phoning about a half an hour later. Because <laughs> uh, they find out that everything they do has a bat. Yeah. And, and what and, and they're asking you, you know, what, what experience do you have running a basketball? No, no. First thing, I, I made a mistake. Uh, I, I think the uh, the fella, I think he he's not on the news side now. I think and he's an editor. It's, it was Craig Daniels of The Sun. And I said, oh, no, I haven't been offered the job. That was a mistake. Oh, okay. That was a mistake. Yeah. And uh, I should have said, listen, I'm sorry. I, I Thanks for the phone call. Um, I really can't comment on it right now. I should have given a non-answer, not lied. Yeah. So you learn. Media, you learn. It can be painful. Do you, the, uh, let's talk a little bit about that. Do you, did you have to take media training? No, no. I mean. You sort of learn it, on the job? Yeah, unfortunately. I took lessons on how to give speeches. I okay. did that when I was in consumer products. Uh, I can still remember, so at Skydome, I got hired. And I'm, go- I'm leaving Pillsbury Green Giant, where I'm the president and CEO, and I, I come to a press conference. And I'd done a little bit of media. CEOs, presidents, don't get interviewed a lot. And they typically get interviewed when there's a new product or they're opening a new plant or something like that. It's quite ironic, maybe a little funny and not really <laughs> very good, that when there's a bad thing, the president's nowhere to be seen. He yeah. or she pushes the PR person out to yeah. answer all the questions. So I had a little bit of media because we were doing some very interesting things at Pillsbury. But I do remember going and there's like three or four cameras and 
the people at Skydome didn't prepare me for it. I just got up there and winged it. Wow. And But Skydome was so sexy, you couldn't screw it up at that point. <laughs> and, uh, but later on, when you've been interviewed a lot, you have really capable PR people who are helping you, and you always you always prepare what questions could they ask, and and you hope to kind of imagine all the questions they're going to ask before you do the press release, Absolutely. press conference. Yeah. Um, how was it? How, you know, how were your first years, or your first really your first months? Um, you know, where where do you prioritize? Is it more important to get the business side taken care of, or do you need to focus on building the team? Well, I. Isaiah Thomas was there. He was the general manager and part owner. Um, I joined at the end of November 1996. Uh, we were already late building a, an arena. We'd already promised the NBA we'd have an arena. And we, we had to get the shovel in the ground. And there were plans because, thankfully, I had uh, both Skydome experience on facilities and I had broadcast experience from TSN that I was able to go in and say, let's make this change, this change, this change to make it better for broadcast, to make it better for the, the fans. And, and so that was the end of November. By February, I think it was February 12th, we had a shovel on the ground to start building it. Yeah. So my first priority was getting that thing built. And I had to convince the, I had to come up with a business plan and show the banks that we, it was a viable business so that Alan Slate could borrow the money. And we did that, and we got a shovel on the ground. And how soon after, you know, I'm trying to go back in my memory, you know, how soon after did this sort of merger? Uh, about a year and a half later, um, I found out that Alan really didn't. Uh, I loved working for Alan Slade. He's a wonderful guy. Um, but he really wasn't a big basketball fan. And he wanted to sell it. And, you know, he he talked to a couple people. But then the Leafs uh, approached us. Um, I had met with Ontario Teachers their CEO, Claude Lammer, and walked him. Through. We were building the building. Yeah. And uh, by the time we sold it, we had 46% of the building built. Um, but, uh, you know, Larry Tannenbaum started uh, talking to uh, Alan, and they decided to buy the company. And, and it was actually perfect because if they were thinking, the Leafs were thinking about building their own arena, the city would not be in as good a shape if they had two arenas because, you, you know, they, we do 60 concerts a year. You'd share them. Uh, you know, the suites, how many could they sell as many suites? Um, you know, our budget, I think, for for the arena when it was only basketball was something like $214 million. As soon as the Leafs took it over, uh, Maple Leaf Sports took it over, they were willing to give us like $260 million. That's That was a lot of money in mm. the late late. Uh, in the late 90s. Uh, it's not a lot of money today. You need to spend sure. six or $700 million, but it was a lot then. And we were able to, able to make it a better arena and put two, you know, two f- big franchises in that. And it guaranteed the, the success and future of both the Raptors. Obviously, the Leafs' future was not in question. Sure. But it, I think if there had been two arenas, you wonder if there would be a Raptors today. Really? Would it be that hard to sort of Oh, it would be impossible. Compete? They'd lose money and, yeah, it would have been ugly. Yeah. Um, again, like I said, this is not going to be in any sort of order, so I'm just going to you know, go, go through some questions here. Um, you talk a bit about, uh, you know, you talk a bit in your book about uh, Tim Lewicki. Mm-hmm. Um you know, replacing you, mm-hmm. um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you 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 intimate that he failed. You know, in terms of what I don't know whether it was he failed at his vision or he failed to build something there. Um, your your thoughts on sort of the work 
Well, that, that Tim, Tim's a big idea guy, high energy guy. And listen, he, he got a practice facility built for the Raptors. Good for him. He expanded BMO Field. Good for him. And he's put management in place. Um, you know, Masai, who you know used to work for the Raptors, he was an excellent choice. And he's brought Shanahan in, and and you know Shanahan's brought um, Lou Lamorello in. So it, it looks like a good team. It's still too early because they're sure. they're just finishing the teardown mode. Um, you know, he he talked a lot about how uh, Tim's Tim's quite um, he quite an outspoken guy. And he basically said the that the company was wasn't a winner. Um, we were not winning on the playing field, admittedly, uh, but we were definitely winning off the playing field in the community financially. And listen, that's people can say, well, that's not important to me. Well, it is important. You got to be both. You got to be good on the business side and good on the sports side. And uh, so, in truth, uh, he was right, saying we weren't winning on the playing field. Uh, but we were really recognized as one of the top sports entertainment companies in the world. Yeah. And, well, uh, you know, when I took over, we merged both the Leafs and Raptors together. We were worth about $300 million. When we, it was sold six weeks before I retired, it was worth $2 billion. So there, I took exception to the fact that he said it's not a winning organization because it denigrated the employees that were there that were doing wonderful stuff in the community, customer service, food and beverage uh, all of the other stuff. So yeah. I took exception to that. Um, I, I guess related to that, uh, and sometimes things slip my mind, so I'm going to come back to it. Mm-hmm. Um, your, your thoughts today on sort of these teams, um, you know, Raptors, Leafs, TFC, you talk about the Leafs sort of finishing that teardown. Your, your thoughts on, you know, where TFC is, is, is coming? Well, TFC is, uh, I didn't check, but they were, uh, first on the table, as they call it, not the standings. Uh, I think they're still leading the Eastern Conference, or damn close, so good for them. Um, they've spent heavily to get there, mm-hmm. very heavily. Uh, they've spent heavily. They they haven't been shy about investing, especially on their three designated players. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I, you know, I can remember someone asked me a few years ago who would win the first championship in the city, and I said, Toronto FC. Um, and I still think the first one will be Toronto <laughs> FC of the yeah. three teams. Uh, Raptors, I, I'm a, if you know my book, I'm a, you can see I'm a huge fan of Dwayne Casey. I'm delighted they re-upped him because yeah. I think he's an outstanding coach. I'm a big. I, I love Masai because he's he's got a strategy. He sticks with. It, he's very stable. A good friend of mine. Uh, he's also smart enough to keep Wayne Embry around him, who's a wonderful advisor. So I like where that team's at. But I'll tell you, it's it's a bitch to. Uh, to win in the NBA. It's tough. Um, you know, they, you know, how good is Golden State going to be this year? Wow. I tell you, I don't root for them anymore. They're just, they're obscene now and who <laughs> they've got. So I'm not going to root for them. Uh, but it's tough to win. So I, I you know, they're going to have a window there and um, we'll see how they do. But, you know, they're, they're a real good team and they did very well last year. Uh, hockey's still to, to be determined. I mean, mm-hmm. every, you know, a lot of fans wanted to do the teardown. And uh, we were criticized because we did not. Um, but, you know, the teardown worked in Chicago. It never worked in Edmonton. So you don't know. You don't yeah, it's know. not a guarantee, is it's it? It's not a guarantee. But, you know, I love the way they're using the Marlies. They're keeping the players down at the Marlies. That was our plan when we brought the Marlies to town. 
and they're doing a really good job with the Marlies. I checked that. I think it's great. They brought Lou in. I don't know a lot of the other people around Shanahan, so I can't comment, but you know, allegedly they're all pretty good. Yeah. I knew Shanahan. I mean, Shanahan's Hall of Fame, and he's an all-star. I saw him in action when I was on the Board of Governors of the NHL. I, he, was a, he was a VP. So, listen, they've hired a lot of very smart, experienced hockey guys. We'll see whether they're Edmonton or Chicago or someplace in between. Sure. It's probably more likely. Yeah. Um, I, I, I remember what I wanted to ask you, and it has to do with, um, you know, I'll, I'll, you listen to the call-in shows on, yep. on, on sports radio, uh, and, and when it comes around to, you know, even the Jays today, you know, about investing in your team, and, you know, does Rogers want to invest in their team, um, you know, is it worth it? And, you know, when they talk about the Leafs, they talk about, you know, the faceless uh, teacher's pension. Um, you know, they're just trying to suck it out. Sort of let, let, let's sort of put this to rest. You know, we, we've got you. you you've, you've sort of been in these uh, in these boardrooms and you understand. Um, is, is it on the business side of things? Is it better to win on the field or to lose on the field? <laughs> Well, it depends where you are. I mean, if okay. you lose on the field and, and you're in the Florida Panthers, you're out of business. If you're uh, Chicago Cubs or maybe the Boston Red Sox, you'll probably still have a good business. Sure. Depends on the strength of the franchise. It's better to win. I mean, sure it is. But, you know, it, if you spend your brains out and and the company goes bankrupt and they start, you know, they're going to start moving – from Atlanta, Cal- Calgary, you could lose the franchise. Yeah. So you know it's it's easy to say it's you got to do whatever it takes to win, but hey, there's there's maybe debt on the company. There's bankers. There's shareholders. You know, it's uh, even rich people hate to lose money. So <laughs> so I can tell you with teachers, and I say it in my book, and I worked with teachers for 15 years, and they never stopped the general managers from spending money. Never stopped them at all mm-hmm. on any team. They really left that up. They didn't always agree. But once you hire a general manager and you start second guessing what they're doing, you might as well get another second, another general manager. So, teachers were never an issue whatsoever. Yeah, just before you leave mm-hmm. uh, MLSE, um, teacher sells. Yep. To Rogers and Bell. Yep. Um, I, I don't know if it's ever been called this. I'm, I'm sure maybe uh, Bobcat at the fan has called it this, but you know, sort of like the unholy alliance. Like how <laughs> how the heck are these two people that compete? Um, against each other. It's like, you know, Sportsnet, TSN coming together, um, which they did, I think, in one of the Olympics. Um, how did that work, and how does it work? I don't know. I'm not in the boardroom now, <laughs> but I think it's a legitimate question. I sure can't see ESPN teaming up with Fox Sports. Uh, and I know they, they're really tough competitors. They fight on so many different levels, and it's healthy competition that um, they're trying to make their products better and, and all of that. Um, so I don't know. It, it's, it's strange bedfellows. So um, I'm not the CEO trying to maneuver <laughs> between those two. I think it probably makes the CEO's job uh, challenging. Uh, but they're together, and and I guess it's working. I don't know. Were you involved at all in terms of helping? No, to- we, uh, I helped make the pitches before I left to help sell the company. Uh, literally got sold five to six weeks before I retired. Um, you know, I, I met George Cope when we sold the company. Uh, you know, I, I don't know the CEO of uh, Rogers. Uh, obviously, I know Larry really well, Larry Tannenbaum. Um, but yeah, I, I, as they were selling it and ter- changing over, I was leaving. Perfect timing for me. Yeah. Because to, um, to probably, the, you know, it's t- usually CEOs and CFOs get 
or, uh, leave after a merger like that. Sure. And I was already retiring, so it was perfect timing for me. Yeah. I'd done it long enough. Um, steroids mm-hmm. and, and performance enhancement uh, drugs in sports. Um, what were your thoughts, you know, as, as you as you were running, you know, these sports teams? Well, I, I, I don't, you know, people will speculate, are there issues in in hockey, you know, lesser in basketball? Um, I'm against them. I don't think we had a problem in any of our leagues. I, I believe that the leagues and the commissioners are doing what they need to do to stop that. Um, you know, you'll still see some fellows and. Uh, baseball's baseball's having a bigger problem in, in NFL than NHL and NBA. And listen, I I don't know their drug policies. I don't have them, you know, side by side. Sure, how sure. often they get tested, etc. Um, so yeah, the leagues that I worked in, I don't think that wasn't an issue on my mind at all. Yeah, it, I I remember when um, that that big baseball report, you know, came out years ago, and and going onto the BlueJays.com. Um, and saying, you know, how, how can I go now tell my son, you know, that, you know, these guys tail take. Well, yeah, there's a lot of uh, home run records were broken with yeah. that. Well, it's, it's, listen, I'm an, you know, one of my values is honesty. So I'm, I'm against enhanced drugs, but, you know, people take them and, you know, we just saw Russia lose a lot of athletes wow. and a lot of other athletes with the recent Rio games. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm a great supporter of our Canadian uh, Olympic men and women, mm-hmm. and I believe they were clean, as to the best of my knowledge. Sure. Um, yeah, that's my belief that they are, and I'd rather they competed that way than the other way. You're, you know, talking about uh, Olympic sports. Your thoughts on, uh, and, and your love of basketball, obviously. Um, your thoughts on, I guess, both the men's and women's, but I guess the, you know the men's team gets most of the media recognition, um, at least here in Toronto. Um, your thoughts on how that team is done and where you think it needs to go? Well, the U.S. dominates them both. I don't think the women's team's lost in years, and the men's team hasn't lost in years. So you really need to put your best people forward. I really admired uh, France. Um, Who's the point guard for the Spurs? Anyhow, he's... Yeah, yeah, yeah. God, I shouldn't remember. <laughs> That's horrible. It's, it's really horrible. Um, you know, they had players who who gave up everything, older players to come and <clears throat> play in the Olympics. And listen, a lot of our... our Tony young, Parker was... Tony there. Parker, yeah. thank you, thank you. <laughs> How embarrassing. Sorry, Tony. Uh, I can remember he went 28th in the draft or something. I remember talking to him the day he worked out with us, and he had a cold, so he never worked out. But, oh, no. But listen, there was 27 people passed on Tony Parker before... Uh, I think I've got the number right before Spurs drafted him. So anyhow, um, I really admire the ones who gave up their summers and stuff to play, and there was a lot of them on the Canadian team. I'm disappointed. I won't name names because people can figure out what the names. I'm very disappointed some of our uh, Canadian NBAers did not play. Mm -hmm. And um, I think it's pretty special that you can go play for your country and maybe hear your national anthem played. Sure. And I'm not saying they could have beaten the United States, but I think if they, they're they young enough that if they start playing, that in, you know, four years from now, maybe eight years from now, but four years from now, I think they could really knock at the door for winning a gold medal and if our players play. They come in, uh, yeah. they, But they have to play. I mean, I think Steve Nash was a better player 
because he played Olympically. I mean, he wasn't a high draft choice. What was he, 16th no, or something yeah. like that? And he wins MVP twice. Mm-hmm. I, I, From a leadership point of view, from a experience point of view, from a skill point of view, he's a better player. I'm a big fan of Jamal Magalur. I like him. He's a good guy. He works in the community here. I know him. He made the All-Star team once. Yeah. I think he made a mistake by not playing the national program. Mm. I've never told him that. It's never come up. But if I was sitting across from him, I'd say, Jamal, you made a mistake. You should have yeah. played. And you know what? I bet he, he he would agree now. Is is it a matter of just reps having an, you know enough just time? No, over it's, it's, it's playing at a high level for real. Mm. You know, it's still, you know, you got players that are still working out all summer. They do that. They go in the gym and work out with a shot coach or something like that. And they're they're fit. But it's nothing like going on and, and actually playing, playing. playing, banging against bodies and stuff like that. Um, a lot of people last year, um, you know, talked about the Blue Jays and um, sort of that that clubhouse camaraderie, um, and that they got along. They seem to be best friends. Um, what's your opinion on, you know, I, I guess clubhouse chemistry, and maybe the similarities or differences when it comes to corporate and and, and a leadership team. And the C-suite and, and how they get along. Okay, that's a good question. Um, you know, there's a great quote I used in my book from Seattle. I think it was, uh, you know, we don't always agree, but at the end of it, we all got to play as one. Mm-hmm. So I think there's that. There's also a quote in there from Dana Sinclair, who's a, a sports psychologist who is a sports psychologist for the Lions and the Calgary Flames and Detroit Lions and stuff. She used to be the sports psychologist for the Leafs and Raptors. A bad, bad guy or gal in a locker room can really drag down a team. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that's why they do psychological testing. To You know, the red flags, one flag, two flag, three flags, because you don't want them in there. So... I'm not saying it used to talk about the Oakland A's all battled each other and they still were a great team. You know, I've never been a coach in a locker room, so I'm not the best guy to answer the question. But I, I, they, you, know, you want to control a bad influence, you either got to eliminate that person or mm-hmm. you have enough maturity around your team in the locker room. I'm coming talking about the captains and stuff that control that person or they can really drag the team down. I think you can win even if they don't all get along. Uh, I think you can lose if they all do get along. I, I sure. think it's in the mix of a, of a team, uh, the nature of the mix, and they all, they're all different. Do you, you know, they talked about uh, Mark Messier mm-hmm. you know, t- uh, being the consummate leader mm-hmm. um, you know, in hockey for those uh, Edmonton Oilers teams. Yep. Um, and and I, th- I think when he got into the, um, the Hall of Fame, they really, you know, really focused on his leadership. Um, do you think that leadership from sports can translate to business? Oh, yeah. Leadership, skills, leadership skills are very, very similar. Uh, if a sports person has trouble going into business, it's probably not the leadership skills. It's probably the functional skills. Hmm. Did they know about finance? Did they know about yeah. HR? Did they know about marketing? Um, you know, so I, I think that. But I think, uh, you know, my book on leadership, the tips can apply to an athlete or an individual who's in business. Yeah. The, the, the first time, and you probably won't remember this, but the first time that you ever interacted with me on Twitter was when I took a photo 
with uh, so we're leaving sports. Okay. <laughs> when I when I took a photo with Olivia Chow, yep. uh, during the um, the, uh, the 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 last uh, Toronto election, yep. um, at a barbecue, I took a photo and, and you retweeted like, oh my god, Richard Petter <laughs> retweeted me. Um, and and you and you, uh, you know, I found out later that you were um, supporting her. Yes. Um, let Let's start off, you know, with uh, you know this sort of you know, this part of the conversation talking about um, your you know activity you know in in politics and in city and things of things of that nature um what got you involved in in her candidacy uh it goes way back um i've i believed in giving back mm-hmm. and you know i've got a great education i've done really well in my career and what can i give back i can give back my experiences my leadership my ideas my money mm-hmm. i i'm very generous in donations to a lot of different causes because um, I can afford it, and uh, I'm blessed that way. And um, so I started being on the board of Children's Aid, uh, United Way, really early on in my career, once I made it to vice president. And I've, in probably since I was about 28, I've been on um, a community board, a school board, um, every year. Mm-hmm. And I continue to be to this day. And uh, so that's my way of giving back. Um, there's a I quoted in my book uh, great uh, Roger Martin, who's the previous um, dean of the uh, Rotman School of Management. Yeah, yeah. He wrote a book called Fixing the Game, and it was a book about using the NFL model to fix Wall Street. And I read the book, and it was really interesting. I told Roger, I love your book, but boy, well, fixing Wall Street's a bitch. Um, but <laughs> what I really liked was a quote that he said: "All people and and companies have three choices." You can do nothing for the, for the, for the company or the community. Uh, just not do anything. You, you like you buy a house and you just leave it. You don't paint it again. You don't fix the roof. You just leave it. Mm-hmm. You can take bricks away from the foundation of a company or a city. You do that by polluting, being a toxic workforce or whatever. Um, or you can add bricks to the civil foundation. And I'm an Ed Bricks guy. Hmm. And uh, so I, you know, I, I, to this day, I graduated 100 years ago from the <laughs> University of Windsor. And, and I, I'm very active at the University of Windsor. I'm vice chair of the Toronto Foundation. Mm-hmm. I'll be chair in nine months. That's, that's a lot of work. I don't get paid for it. Um, and, you know, so Olivia Chow, I, I'm a, I believe I'm a city builder. And, and prior to the election, I wanted to get involved and I, I knew John, Tori, and I knew uh, Olivia. Uh, and uh, I really thought Olivia had a good vision for the city. And so I surprised all my friends because I'm, a, you know, 41 years a capitalist and I've never voted NDP. Um, huh. And I supported Olivia Chow because wow. I thought she would have been a great leader for the city. Why do you think she didn't become mayor? I think it was a lot of reasons. Um, I... I, I talk about it in my chapter on vision. I didn't think any of the candidates, the three candidates, Ford, Tory, or Olivia, really had a good vision for the city. Mm. Really, what do we want to make this city? And uh, so uh, she was no worse than anyone else. I don't think she really had a great vision. She had lots of really good programs, yes. but I don't think it laddered up to a vision. But either the other two, and they outpolled her. So, so that could have been it. I, I think. Um, I think the fact that she. Uh, was a woman. I think hmm. the fact that her natural language is first language is Chinese. I think that put her at a disadvantage in speaking and uh, doing debates. 
And she's a quieter person. She's very smart, very authentic. But you get into the rough and tumble part of a, a, a debate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, it's not your first language, I think, that put her. So, listen, she lost fair and square. The people voted. I'm not saying they're wrong. Uh, but it was tough. Yeah. Um, your thoughts on, on John Tory and what he's done so far? Well, things are a lot saner, obviously. <laughs> uh, we're not embarrassed. We're not seeing our mayor on the, the late night shows in the United States. Um, you know, I, we've, got a, we've got a lot of issues here. We're a great city. We just recently, once again, we're, you know, there's, there's a whole bunch of different groups that come out of here and rank the cities. We're in the top five most livable cities in the world. But I think there's so much more that we can do. Our infrastructure needs work. Transit, sewers, computers, bridges. We need work. You were and talking about bike lanes when you first came Bike in. lanes. I'm a big, big fan of bike lanes. And, um, and so that needs work. It needs money. So I believe that we've carved out all of the money. I think the city runs efficiently. Could it run more efficiently? Sure. But it's not a gravy train. There's not illegal stuff going on. There's not huge waste going on. Our issue is revenue. We do not have enough revenue, and that's what John Tory's got to wrestle with. He's got to, he, you know, whether that's tolls or or more cost on parking. Is it is it vehicle permits again? We took that one away. Sixty million dollars gone. Um, what is it? Is it we're still in the GTA? The lowest tax rate in the GTA is the city of Toronto. Wow. So you know we're not. People can say, well, I don't, I want, don't want high taxes. Well, you know, the sewers are all bur- exploding. The, the bridges are falling down. Transit. I'm not looking forward to going home on the, on the young line uh, on a 30-degree day because we've needed a, a relief line for two decades. Yeah. So that's, that's a challenge for John going forward is, first of all, he's got he's to, you know, he, he, he campaigned on low uh, tax rate. Well, you know what? We need a re- we need revenue. Someone's got to man up. Some somebody at the next uh, we, can, we can't even wait for the next election. We can't wait another two years for this. We've got to increase revenue to invest it back in making this a more livable city for everyone. If you, if you were sitting down and, and and maybe you don't have the answer right off the top, but you know if you were sitting down, you know with John Tory, um, and and I and I don't know why someone like yourself wouldn't have the ear of of someone like the mayor, but if you were. And he said, "Okay, you know, Richard, what would you do? You know, what what would what would you advise John Tory in terms of here's how you need to increase revenue?" Well, they they've studied every every option. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's five or six options in there, and I believe that most of them are allowed by the government. You know, there's different different powers municipal governments have versus provincial. Um, you know, you got to go pick. You've got to figure out. I need X billions of dollars for infrastructure mm-hmm. and then figure out a plan, a financial plan that gets you there. And that's what business people do. Listen, you know, this we've got to hit this plan. How are we going to do it? Okay, we're going to do tolls. Yeah. And a lot of people are going to listen to your podcast and scream <laughs> when I say that. But that's a user pays. Sure. I mean, the roads cost money. And, uh, you know... And we, you know, we got to spend money on transit, get them off the roads. Yeah. You know, it's really interesting watching the bike lanes. I was watching these; they're making better time, and they're taking a lot of cars off the road. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I, for instance, they've got the test uh, test run of the Bloor bike lane, and I I started at the sub. I took the subway down for my f- first meeting, so I'm standing at the corner of University 
and bluer, and I'm looking down, seeing this wonderful bike lane. Yeah. Really well designed. But it's a test. No, it's not a test. The great cities in the world are putting bike lanes that you don't test it. It's done. Go with it. Go, Taking yeah. down the Jarvis bike lane was a horrible. We spent a lot of money to put it in, a lot of money to take it out. What? Because someone in Rosedale, and I used to live in Rosedale, is two minutes later coming, getting home to, for, from their job. Mm-hmm. No, you got to put in bike lanes. And, and there's going to be people that, uh, you know, the NIMBYs, not, not yeah. in my backyard. Mm-hmm. There's going to be the naysayers, the people that are against anything. If you want a great city, you've got to invest in it. It's not going to come. They say, well, we should get it from the provincial government or the federal government. Where do you think they get their money? They get it from us. It's all taxation. <laughs> so, like, you, you got, you're only going to get what you pay for. Yeah, absolutely. We need to increase revenue. I mean, I've been to New York a, a handful of times. I can't say in order, like, the back of my hand. But I, uh, they have tolls when you get into the city. It's one of the greatest cities in the world. Yep. They have tolls when you get into the they city. They got a bike lane on Park Avenue. They got bike lanes all over the place. The and last time got, I was you know, in there. They just, uh, well, I, I was a big fan of Bloomberg. What he did, he did so many wonderful things. He yeah. was one of my fans. I wish he'd run for president of the United States, but he's not, not so. My uh, my my wife is a big fan. She works with an organization called Park People, and so when we were there, she was there for a conference, and so we we tagged along. The parks are amazing there. Oh, they're so clean. I mean, yeah, you know, just our, you know, I, I just finished a drink with uh, Jennifer Keysmet. We we're talking about the new park over the rail lands. I mean, that would be spectacular. That's that new one they've been talking about, right? Yeah, Yeah. and, uh, you know, know, hats off to both Jennifer Kiesmad and um, John Torrey. They they came together on that. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, they're costing it out now, and they're going to, you know, unveil how much it's going to cost and the resources. But, you know, the city needs that kind of stuff. Yeah. And people will poo-hoo little things like Sugar Beach down there or the Wave Decks or Music Garden along the waterfront. A livable city needs those things. Well, absolutely. It does. And, you know, it's not not everyone has a cottage up north. Not everyone belongs to the Granite Club. You know, there's a, there's there's millions of people here, diverse people. And, uh, you know, we've got to give them bike lanes and we've got to give them parks. And that's going to take money. Yeah, absolutely. You're, you know, talking about Jennifer Kiesma. Your your thoughts on, on her job so far as chief city planner? Uh, what I say in my book, if uh, Jennifer ran the city, it'd be more functional and more livable. She's an outstanding planner. We're lucky to have her. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to remember who was the planner before, but I don't know, and I don't remember. She seems to be the first one that has that has. Well, she's she's as you you probably follow her on Twitter. Yes, I do. Yes, she's got thousands of Twitter followers. She's she's candid. She's she's spunky. She's she's speaks her mind, which not all bureaucrats like. She, you know. But I, I have a, I talk about truth to power. I'm a yes. great believer that that uh, you know. There's a quote in the book about. You know, everyone learns from listening to a contrary point of view. Mm-hmm. All, all leaders have to be open to that. And she's got a con- sometimes has a contrary point of view, and we're better for listening to it. Um, we're, we're up against the clock, like a okay. hockey game. We're up against the clock. But I have so much, uh, so many questions I want to ask you. So I don't know, maybe we'll rapid fire this. But um, wh- when is Richard Petty running for office? Oh, not uh, never. No? No, I'm going to be 70 in January. <laughs> you don't not, not need a 70, 70-year-old politician. 70 is the new 50 now, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I feel, listen, I'm healthy, but no, no thanks. No, so that's not for you? Yeah, zero. Okay. So you, you're you're rather the person that will help Jennifer if she wants to do that. Well, help her you know, run. There's, there's, you know, I helped Olivia and, uh, you know, the municipal election comes up. 
possibly help who whoever decides running. to. Yeah. Fair, fair enough. Um, you talked about you being on uh, the board of directors, the vice chair of Toronto Foundation. Uh, vice chair, yeah. Vice chair. Tell tell us a little bit about the Toronto Foundation. What what is well, it? Well, they, they do? link philanthropy with opportunities and needs, and you know we're a four hundred and fourteen million dollar uh, uh, foundation. Um, 19 full-time people identifying opportunities. They're, they're great on community knowledge. So I have my own, my wife Colleen and I have our own foundation. It's uh, Richard and Colleen Petty Foundation where we give money to inner city groups because uh, we want to, we focus on inner city youth. Okay. And um, so, you know, I, I really like what they're doing and uh, what I can help them with is, uh, you know, help them with the marketing and and we've we've got a new um, a CEO and president um, Sharon Avery who actually joins tomorrow, mm. and uh, you know our goal is to get to a billion dollars in funds. We're at four hundred and change right now. Fantastic. And then you said in is it six months, six weeks? You're going to be the chair uh, when when John Barford, who's an excellent chair, is up, and I think that's probably you know when is it next June? Next June. Fantastic. Um, you are also, and you, you alluded to this in our conversation, um, you've got a leadership, is it a foundation, a leadership? No, it's a Richard Petty Leadership Initiative okay. at the University of Windsor, and um, uh, one of the signature events is a leadership initiative every year. You know, I've had Harry Rosen speak at it, Brian Burke speak at it, Chris Overholt speak at it, and this year the speakers that I mentioned earlier um, yeah, it's going to be great. Uh, it's uh, November 17th in Windsor, and tickets are really cheap, and it's a great day on helping create 21st century leaders. Where where did the, the concept or the idea of, of you wanting to build and empower leaders come from? I realize that if you could become a better leader, you'd have more success. And I realized that leadership wasn't a passive act. It wasn't something that you show up at work every day. And even if you get promoted, it doesn't mean you're becoming a better leader, that you really have to work at it. And it's, it's you know, great leadership doesn't happen in a day. It takes a lifetime. And, le- and, and you change. I mean, you know, I, when I started, I was already a president for a number of years. And along come the millennials. Well, how you lead a millennial, mm. how you communicate with them and what their needs are is much different. So if you're not constantly investing and learning and, and changing yourself, you're not going to be a great leader. And uh, I've, I've been a student of leadership forever. And so it's where I chose to, you know, you know, Richard Petty Leadership Initiative, write books on leadership. And I mentor like crazy. And I, sp- I give tons of speeches on leadership because um, I, think, I think it can make a real difference to people. Fantastic. Listen, thank you so much for coming in. I really appreciate it. Okay. Thank you.